that and great music today. Special treats. Well, good morning, everybody, everyone, and happy Mother's Day to you out there. Um, today we'll read chapter 1, verse 17, and the 10 verses of chapter 2 of the book of Jonah. The book is kind of separated in two parts, one chapter 1 and 2, and chapter 3 and 4, completely uh, different directions, even though the same character uh, and the main character is God himself, of course, in this, using Jonah is an example for us not only personally but historically in our faith. So, chapter 1, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried. And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The water closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, all, I mean, at the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed, up, closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, excuse me, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who paid regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are thankful again for your word. We pray that, Father, that we would always remember that it is your word that will endure forever. We thank you that uh, we have it and it has endured throughout our lives and lives of our of our uh, the saints of the past and the saints in the future and we pray that today your saints will be edified and encouraged and challenged and their understanding of your word broadened by the very uh, nature of having <clears throat> you preserve this story to us of this man named Jonah Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for us, all that you will do for us. We thank you for your son Jesus who has given us his mind so that we may even begin to understand who you are and who he is and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life as well. So, Father, we pray for your will to be upon us and to be encouraged by our desire to serve you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at chapter 1 and we saw this uh, calling of this prophet which had been called back in Jeroboam, the second ministry. We saw that in 1 Kings uh, at a time when uh, uh, Jonah proclaimed that there would be prosperity, even under a wicked king like Jeroboam II, there would be prosperity for the kingdom and it seemed that Jonah didn't have a problem with telling the kingdom of Israel that they were going to prosper. But when God, when the word of the Lord came to Jonah and he said, Arise and go to, this, to Nineveh, the Assyrian nation, the capital of Assyria, which as we talked about last week, this great nation, not being because it's a wonderful place, but because of its power and its growth 
and of all that makes any kind of nation, whether good or bad, great. And in the eyes of Israel, in the eyes of God's people, they were a great enemy. They were uh, uh, at a time when Jonah was uh, preaching. They seemed to be at a, at a, a midpoint of their of their uh, scope of their growth and their and their greatness, and they seemed to expound and expand on that. They lasted for primarily nine hundred to a thousand years, and and uh, toward the end of that time, this is when they they ended up overtaking. The northern kingdom of Israel, which is called Samaria in, in some of the prophecies. Um, and the brutality, as we mentioned last week, of Assyria coming in. We, we, uh, we see that you can understand why Jonah was reluctant to go to an enemy that was uh, really positioning themselves to be a great threat. Uh, had nothing but probably hatred and animosity towards Assyria and toward the city of Nineveh and all those who inhabited it. And so God tells Jonah to arise, go to Nineveh to this great city and call out against it because he says, for their evil has come up before me. Now we've seen in the past, as I said last week, when that happened, it seemed like the prophets would go out and call against the nations as judgment but evidently Jonah felt that God was going to be working differently here as we understand as we'll read the chapter 3 and chapter 4 we'll see that Jonah had and seemed to have some insight that God was going to be merciful and, and, and very full of grace upon the city of Nineveh and Assyria and Jonah wanted no part of that at all now salvation was good for the Jews and grace and mercy were okay for the Jews, and prosperity was okay for the Jews, but not for anybody else. So we see the word but there in chapter 2, but Jonah does rise up, and he runs away. And we see that instead of going northwest for about five or 600 miles, he goes someplace southeast for maybe hundreds and thousands of miles away to a place called Tarshish which were cargo ships that would go in for, for many, many days, months, and even years to get to their destination and come back again. As we see, Jonah went, went uh, he wanted to, to leave the presence of the Lord because he did not want to do what the Lord wanted him to do. He did not want to uh, give this message to the Ninevites. So he left, and we see in verse 3, the presence of the Lord, we see, it, we see the word Tarshish mentioned, and we see that kind of uh, bookends in the beginning of chapter, uh, verse 3, he says the presence of the Lord, and, chapter, and verse 3 ends in the presence of the Lord. Jonah wanted nothing to do with the presence of the Lord. He didn't want to be around the Lord. He didn't want to be near any proximity where he had to think that he was close enough to be near Nineveh to be reminded what he had to do. We do that. The Lord tells us to do something, we kind of give ourselves some distance. We kind of put our, some space between ourselves, a space between the Word of God, our space between the church, a space between anything that resembles any kind the Lord would want us to do, because we don't want to be reminded, we just don't want to be around that. We kind of want to take a step back and gather our thoughts when we really are depending upon our insanity at that point. And then we see this, Jonah rose and went, but Jonah rose, and then we see that Jonah got onto the ship, and we see that Jonah went into the ship and went down in the ship and kept on going down in the ship and then fell down into a sleep and then was hurled down while he was brought up by the Lord and then picked up by the sailors. We see this, this juxtaposition of being of God raising him up and these men raising him up, but Jonah going down. This is purely and surely a sign of spiritual decline for Jonah. We can see him going down and down, and the words keep on saying he goes down into the ship, and he's sleeping and he's snoring away, and he has no care in the world about what's going on around him because he saw God's providence by walking up to the ship 
yard, and by God's grace, there was a ship going to Tarsus just where he wanted to go. Well, this must be God's will for my life. So he could sleep securely, knowing that, well, God must have given this opportunity for him to head off and to just must be God's will that it's not time for him to go. Yeah, maybe God changed his mind. Now, we, as I said last week, it's pretty plain and pretty clear what God wanted him to do. There was no confusion here. But yet Jonah played games and tried to discern God's will in his own way. And allowed circumstances to circumvent what he knew God wanted him to do. We do that all the time. Looking for signs. Fleecing. You've heard of that, right? We do a lot of fleecing. Well, we put something out there to see if God's going to respond to it. And that's a sign. As I said last week, a sign for what? Of our disbelief of what God wants us to do and our looking for ways that we can go around what God has clearly told us. So we see the spiritual decline of, of Jonah. Then all of a sudden, as it says, we see then God hurls this great wind upon, uh, upon the sea in a mighty tempest. And the ship, as it says, was, it actually gave a personality and a conscience to the ship that the ship was about have, to have a nervous breakdown. It was going to fall apart in this sea. And, the, and these men were were fearful, they were throwing off their, their, their money, their revenue, how they were going to make their, their, uh, their money for their lives, throwing, they were just so frightened. I mean, these salty sea legs guys just were so afraid of this storm that they did everything that they knew they shouldn't do, but they needed to survive, so you go to great lengths to survive. And, and then the captain goes down and calls again to Jonah, and notice, it's another term that the Bible uses for somebody who is not really being spiritually astute. And it says here, what do you mean, you sleeper? You're sleeping? You can't, you can't read the signs? You can't see what's going on? And you and I know sometimes ungodly people, or people are not necessarily the most evil people you're around, but people who don't care about the Lord seem to have a better, clear thinking about what's going on around you than you do at times. Because we choose to turn our spirituality on and off depending on the terms. We're all relativists, are we not? We're situation ethics people. We kind of do things when it seems easier for us sometimes. He says, perhaps your God will give us thought, so why don't you pray? So all of a sudden these men are praying to any trinket and any rabbit's foot and any four-leaf clover and any kind of idol they had in their pocket and in their bunk or anything, just something. We, this is bigger than us. We need some help. And then he says, and then all of a sudden they cast these lots, this dice, and they fall upon, they falls upon Jonah, which like it wasn't, you didn't think it wasn't going to happen. And they pass, and it goes on to Jonah, and then all of a sudden these guys interrogate him. Okay, wait a minute, why is this evil come? Who are you? Where did you come from? And he says, well, I'm a Hebrew, and I, I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made this sea that's driving you all crazy, and the land all around it. And we see... Jonah understands totally what's going on. He says here, I, I, this is, he goes, pick me up and hurl me in. Just throw me in there because he's, he's, he's been used by God. He's a prophet of God. God has revealed himself to him in his word. He understands that this is his fault. He's taking blame here, even though he doesn't repent and saying, oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, let's go back and drop me back off where I'm supposed to. He says, it's better for me to die. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. Just throw me off. Commit suicide. It's much easier. This is how disobedient he was. We see this downward spiral of, of the spiritual heart of this man of God. Now, we've seen that in other places in the Bible. David goes from looking at Bathsheba, sunbathing, to lusting after Bathsheba, to after sleeping with Bathsheba and then killing her husband. This is a man after God's own heart. That doesn't happen to us, does it? We never see the spiritual decline go from one. We never make mistakes one after another and find ourselves in places or thinking about things or doing things or participating in things we should never do. Poor Jonah, he's only one of a kind. And you and I know that, again, this is about the Lord. This is the, the, the major character in here is Jonah, 
who is not only resembling us, but is resembling the very nature and the state of Israel at this time. As we've talked about this, they're, they're, they're very prosperous, they're doing very well, uh, even though there's threats around them. Before, before Assyria came, they were doing rather well by God's grace. And, and they cared less about the Lord, and they cared less about the people around them, and they cared less about the, the, the justice that was supposed to be part of the gospel that they were supposed to be preaching. And they were not taking their eye, they were not taking care of people around them, and they were not worshiping the Lord as he desired them to be. So they did everything that was right in their own eyes, as the judges would say. Or the Lord would say through the book of Judges. And so we see this, these people now who are ungodly salty men of the sea who, know, who did not understand or did not have a relationship with God. Now after their, this tempest comes up and we see that they are, they all become, become you know, they're spiritual people. Everybody's spiritual. You and I know that even atheists, there's some spirituality to, to atheists. There's spirituality to everybody. Everybody's a spiritual a person. Everybody has that. We're creating the image of God. We have, as we've seen in the book of Ecclesiastes, God has sent eternity on our hearts. There's this hole in us that has to be filled with something. So we're very creative, and we fill it with everything we want. And so these pagan men on the ship were praying to everyone they could and everything they could or whatever they could pray they did. You see, they, they, they automatically jumped to this supernatural world that they didn't have clearly defined. But you notice when he said that he was a Hebrew and that he served Yahweh or he feared Yahweh, that, that intimate covenant name, they feared. Because like the name of Yahweh was not just localized. Many people knew who, who Yahweh was. They knew that if you were a Hebrew... Man, your God meant business. Rahab said that. We see it in, in as I said last week, when, when Solomon prayed in the dedication of the temple, that when people hear of our God and hear of our name, they will fear. And we see that these men had a sense that, wow, this is, this is Yahweh's people. He, this is Yahweh's man. And look at it. He's in control of all these things. We, these people go from ignorance. Now they go to be ignorance and fear, now they're informed and they're in fear. Because now they're really afraid. Oh my goodness. Now you notice how they pray. Throw me over. Oh, wait a minute. If God is your God, if Yahweh's your God, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to throw you over. Oh yes, throw me over. Oh no, we're not going to throw you over. We see this going back and forth, this, this debate going back and forth. And and they said, oh, Lord, notice now these men who had no, no Yahweh on their lips before are now praying and talking to Yahweh in verse 14. Oh, Lord, you have done this. It, this has, you have done this and you are pleased by this. They see God not only the God of Jonah, now he's the God of everything who does all things, who is in control of every eternal decree that there can be. He's in control of everything. These guys have gone now to a sense of fearing God him, themselves. And through this event, these men becomes, they become followers of, of God, of Yahweh. So they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea. And when the sea ceased, they feared the Lord in a great way. And they worshipped him. And they made promises and vows. And again, as I said last week, vows were so important. Go read chapter 11 of the book of Judges. When that gentleman said that whoever I vow, that if, Lord, if you give me the Ammonites into my hands, I will sacrifice anyone who walks into that door. And who walked through the door but his daughter? That's how important a vow is, it had to be followed through with. This isn't light stuff. These men were taking promises that they were going to do what God wanted them to do. So they go from godless men, or men who had a small g, are now followers and God-fearing, Yahweh-fearing men who are worshiping and, and making vows to the Father, to God, Yahweh. In the meantime, what's happened? Jonah hits the water, and we see 
that he's starting to sink. And he starts going down. Now, we think it's doomsday for Jonah, but again, God's sovereignly involved in all of this, is he not? And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We don't know if it was three days or three nights, but in the Hebrew idiom, three days and three nights could be three parts of days. It's just like, you know, Jesus was not three 24-hour days in the, in, in the ground. He was parts of days, all day, all day Saturday, but part of a Friday and part of a Sunday. He wasn't in there for three whole days, but it's an idiom, which means it's a complete thought saying that it was three days and three nights. And so we don't know how long he was in there, but it says he was in here three days and three nights. So what we see here, we see God saying this, but Jonah doing this. We see God saying this, but the sailor saying this. Turn with me to uh, the Westminster Confession in the back of your hymnal, page uh, 851. You know, we talk about this concurrent. You've heard me say this. If I ever leave this place, I hope it's indelibly marked in your head. Concurrence. That's where that, that God's sovereign control is over everything. And how God takes the, the, the events and the actions of men and even Satan himself, which ultimately come out to work everything out the way the Lord wants it to happen. Romans 8.28, how God takes your decisions and my decisions and knows that we are even going to do them and that he is not surprised by anybody's actions, but yet he takes all of those actions and ends up bringing them in the mainstream of his will, which is mind-boggling to me still. I think I use that every time I say that. Page 851, it says here, the providence of God, the chapter 5 of of uh, Westminster Confession, it says, God, verse uh, number one, God, the creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his inval infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of his glory, of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Now notice verse uh, number five. Section num uh, chapter five, but section number five. Now we're getting into this portion. What is this story about? The most wise, righteous, and gracious God doth oftentimes leave for a season his own children to manifold temptations and the corruption of their own hearts to chastise them for their former sins, or to discover unto them the hidden strength of corruption and deceitfulness of their hearts, that they may be humbled, and to raise them to a more close and constant dependence for their support upon himself, and to make them more watchful against all future occasions of sin and for sundry other just and holy ends. This is what this story is about as well. We see that God has a disobedient child. He has a disobedient child in Israel. He is chastising Israel. He is allowing for a season Jonah to act like Jonah wants to act, but really is in control of what Jonah is doing. And we'll get Jonah to where he wants Jonah to be, but on Jonah's terms. Now we can turn, we, we, turn with me to chapter 37, or Psalm 37, that we read today. And look at me at verse 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. Though he fall, 
He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. What we're seeing here is that what God is doing for Jonah is not punishing Jonah. This isn't punishment. This is love. God loves Jonah. He loves him so much that he pursues him and even sends to him a rescue. A rescue. Now, it doesn't look like quite the rescue ship that I would have asked for or he would have asked for, but he sent him a vessel to be rescued in from himself. For a season, God allows us to go down and down and down until he grabs us and gives us a season. Because if we are his children, we, he can't disown us. He won't disown us. Now, I'm not saying, okay, good, let it all hang out. But what I am saying is that this is great and comforting and encouraging for us to understand that despite our continuing sanctification that is going on and sinful nature that is going on, that God will not lose us, as Jesus said. I have lost none. Who have you given me? So we see that Jonah thinks he's going to die. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of a fish. He was on a boat. He could have gotten up and started praying to God immediately, but he has to wait till he's in a belly of a fish before he starts praying. Now, I think that's very common practice for most of us. Many times we find ourselves stuck in the belly of a fish before we get to the point when we think we have to start praying. Because God brings us in a season and humbles us to get to a point that we find out who we are and where we are and how we got there and that by God's grace, we reach out to him and he's going to save us. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. This is a psalm, a poem of thanksgiving. Because he realizes that this fish is from the Lord to save him from himself. Because notice how he feels. Listen to this language. Out of the belly of Sheol, or the place of death, the place where there was no way out. I cried and you heard my voice. And we go to Psalm 139. If I go to Sheol, you are there, it says. For you cast me. Notice, he noticed God was involved in this. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. And all of your waves and all of your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Whose fault was it? Did God drive him away from his own sight? Or did we? God never moves. We do. God doesn't turn away from us. He can't. If we're in Christ, if we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, if we are redeemed in Christ, God can't love us any more or any less than he loves us now. I think you've heard that before. Because he loves us in Christ. So he never moves. We do right to the left up down we move all over the place god is secure god is in control god is the god of the universe the sea and the land he says yet i shall again look upon your holy temple he goes back and realizes that that's a place because that's a sign of god's presence in israel where else do they go they don't have them in a little pocket they can't have satellite temples anywhere. They go in his temple is where the presence was. That's why in the post-exilic books, we see that they can't wait to build a temple because they need a visible presence of the Lord in them because they aren't God's people until they have that visible presence, even though God never returns until Jesus comes. They need that. That's why he was in the center of all the tents. They put the tabernacle in the very center of all the tribes. 
Because he was their identity. And that's why now Jonah looks back and says, it was in the temple. I will again look upon your temple because I know you wouldn't have, you know, if you didn't send this fish for me, you, you wouldn't love me. You love me because I see this fish. Even though he says, the water closed over my head to take my life, the deep surrounded me. This wasn't a, a till the fish grabbed him, this wasn't a pleasant experience. And you and I can attest to that. Until the Lord brings us to our senses, or the brings, brings us, Lord brings us through a dark providence that he desires for us to be brought through as individuals in a church. It isn't pleasant until we understand, and we, what happens? We regain our understanding that God is wise, God is good, God is loving, God is kind. And he, uh, he's allowed us, as you've heard me talk about, when we looked at the book of Romans, and we looked at Peter, and we looked at all these other books, that God doesn't allow anything to come through his fingers into your life or my life until he allows it to happen for our good and for his glory. Now, it's easier for me to expound that with a lot of passion, but talk to that lady over there. When the heat lamp comes on and when the storms come in my life, it sounds great. Well, practice what you preach, preacher. You know, this is what's, I mean, these are wonderful things. My heart jumps. I'm excited because these are consistent truths in the Word of God over and over again. You can't deny it. You can't get away from it. That's why I'm telling you, I'm a kindred spirit with you all. I don't have any, any special treatment. Some of you are going through worse things than I've gone through. But for me, it's all relative. You know, for some people, a prick of a pin is too much. For some people, they can have their leg cut off and they smile. Jonah knows that this, the Lord loves him so much that he brought this, appointed this fish, appointed this fish for him to come, regardless of what kind of fish it was. People go so crazy. If you're worrying about the fish, this, this story means absolutely diddly to you. It has nothing to do with what kind of fish it was. Talking about God. He says, the water closed in over my, and take to take my life, they surrounded me. You've ever been in the ocean or been in a pond where you, you know, the weeds come up around your legs or you get twisted up in the seaweed and, you know, it's really a weird, ugly, terrible feeling. You're trying to feel like you want to get that stuff and pull it away from you because you want to be, you want to move your legs. He's just feeling this, but he's sinking down. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks this is it. He's, he's been going so deep that he can't go any deeper. This is it. He said, I felt that I was in shale. I thought I was a goner. That he got to the point where he looked at it and he says, I can't go to Tarshish anymore. I can't do anything anymore. I can't even breathe anymore. Imagine that. The Lord takes away your ability to breathe. What left do you have? It's not, I don't will my breath. It happens automatically. He says, I went down into the land. He goes, you were weeds wrapped around my hand. Verse 6, at the root of the mountains, I went down. I mean, he keeps on going down. Listen to these words. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. His mind, I'm good as dead. Yet you brought me up. From the pit. Oh Lord, oh Yahweh, my God. Boy, it's nice when you come to realization how great it is to have this God as your God. But when he tells us, and when he wants to order our life, and he gives us commands that we are to do as individuals and as a church, we want some distance. We want to think about it, Lord. I want to think about this. You don't have time when you're sinking and you can't breathe anymore. You don't have time to think anymore. The time for thinking's done. It's too late. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Some of us have to get that low before we remember the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of this kessed 
covenantal love. He is saying he's not talking about only himself. He is saying he was an idol. He worshipped himself. He made his own decisions. He thought it was good. I don't need to go to these guys. Lord, you're sovereign. Find somebody else. Send somebody else. It's not my gift today. You've heard people say, that's not my gift. I can't do that. That can be abused immensely in churches. Go find somebody else. Here, he can't, he can't make a decision. He can't will anything. He has nothing to do. He is, totally, he is totally weak and helpless. And he's almost dead. And he says, it was because I worship vain idols myself. And then what he is saying, too, is that he, is not, he may be even talking about the Ninevites. Them worshiping vain idols. Because they don't understand the Kessid love of God. He doesn't want to tell them. But you understand later, he says, I will. Or Israel, who had a lucky charm bracelet. for God, Yahweh was on there. And every other god of every Hittite, Amorite, Termite, any kind of ite. You could find on your bracelet. You found on a Jew's bracelet. Because they became so lost they became so eclectic in their worshiping of god what does it hurt what does it hurt we just take a little bit of this and we take a little bit of that and we open a christian bookstore honestly he says but i will rejoice of thanksgiving with sacrifice to you when i have vowed what i have vowed i will repay what is this vow i will go to nineveh I have vowed, yes, Lord, I will be your spokesman. And that means going to Nineveh. And he is going to do this. And we see that he goes and does it. We're going to read next week, he doesn't whistle hi-ho, hi-ho to Nineveh. But he's vowed to go. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Which is kind of funny. It doesn't belong to the Ninevites. It's good for the Jews. Salvation, he understands totally, and I'm not trying to put down what he is saying here, because this is a transition in Jonah's life, a major transition in Jonah's life. This is where he has had to come to this place where he realizes that he isn't in control. He may not be happy about the situation, but he understands, Lord, I have to do what you want me to do. You're sovereign over everything. And then what happens when he says yes? The Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Again, we'll, have to, we'll talk about that later. Not the most glorious way of entering a scene. Being vomited out of a great fish. Can't imagine. I don't think he brought a suitcase with him on the way down. But anyway... So what do we see here? We see God allowing, as the confession says to us, turn with me, I don't want to go to the confession because I don't want to, don't, you know, I love the confessions, but we've got to be careful that we don't make an idol out of the confession of faith as well because it's based upon the word of God. So let me take you to the place in, Matt, in, in book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 3, consider him, talking about Jesus here, Jesus is greater, Jesus is better by far, it's the writer of Hebrews can't come up there, there's nobody better. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son this is taken from proverbs do not regard lightly the discipline of the lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives for it is for it is for discipline that you have to endure 
God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom, whom his father does not discipline? For if you left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us with respect and respected them. Shall we not, how, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. This is the will of the Lord, Paul writes to the Thessalonica church. Your sanctification. This is what this book is about. This is about the sanctification that Israel, that Jonah, should be wanting from the Lord. And even if he doesn't want it, God is going to give it to him. Through these trials, through these struggles, even allowing sin to enter into his life, that God says, it's going to happen, I know it's going to happen. Peter, you're going to disobey me. Peter, you're going to denounce me. Peter, you're going to swear against me, but I'm praying for you. So this is an encouragement for us, is it not? Is it not that when we find ourselves going through trials at every degree, from a pricked finger to something unbelievably worse, barring death, which isn't worse at all, but on a horizontal level it is, the loss of loved ones, the loss of jobs, money, members of our body, Anything you can think of. Unless God is not God, everything that comes through his fingers is for our good. It's for our sanctification. It is for us to come to a place where we say, yes, God, we need you. And we see Jonah praying in that belly of that fish. The most unlikely place to be does not sound like one of the prayer closets that the Lord had talked about. But this is where he has him. And we pray to him because he's not a God located in the temple. He's a God who now lives within our hearts because of who Christ is. And we can enter that holy of holies. We can enter that special place where only one man can go one time a year. We can go every moment of every day because of what Jesus has done for us. Because God has allowed it. God has ordained it. God has decreed it. Before the foundations of the world, God chose you and chose me to be his child. And nothing's ever going to change that. And that's why Romans is written, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not sword, not disease, not poverty, not sickness, not anything. Not even death can do that. That's what he is saying. That's why you trust in who he is. And that's why we need a place like this for encouragement. We need family like this to encourage us. Because we need this kind of message. To understand that a bloat like Jonah is still loved. Just think of Samson in the judges. What a guy. Look at what he did. My goodness. Amazing. And yet God used him to reflect what? That the people needed a redeemer. And it all points to Jesus. So what we're looking at here, folks, is one, one facet of what this story is about. It's called, called, as people say, it's the order of salvation on a private, personal level. We see God calling us. We see God changing us. We don't see repentance here. I don't see Jonah saying, I'm sorry. But he did say it was my fault. He did say that it's my fault. He didn't say, forgive me. He didn't say he was sorry. Peter didn't say that either, did he? He says, Jesus, you know that I love you. But God knows his heart and says to Jonah, he says, Jonah, I'm it, man. This, I'm all you got. And Jonah recognizes that. So he sees that salvation, both on a uh, one-time basis and a long-term eternal basis all comes from the Lord. But this isn't just about Jonah's salvation because we have, we have a order of salvation for individuals, but there's a history of salvation that the Bible talks about. Because if, if you think, what does this mean to me, 
then you have a very myopic view of the Bible. I didn't get anything up in the past today because it didn't say anything to me. But what does it say about the Lord? What does this book say about Jesus? What does this chapter say about Jesus? Why is Jonah even here? Because of Matthew 12. Then some of them, chapter 12, verse 38, then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And he answered them an evil, an adulterous generation. I mean, Jesus didn't go to Dale Carnegie school, that's for sure. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. The book of Jonah the life of Jonah all happened because of Jesus, not because of you and me and our personal need for understanding why God does these things, even though that's wonderful. It's about who Jesus is. It's about what, folks? What's the Bible about? Creation, the fall, redemption, consummation. My wife has it in the front of her Bible. I was so proud of her when I looked at her Bible. That's it. Concurrence. And creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. That's what this book is all about. So if we don't get that each week, you don't get the gospel. You get therapeutic, moralistic preaching. And you know what? That makes pygmies. That doesn't make giants of the face. It creates pygmies. And you know what we got out there because of the preaching in the church? Pygmies. Pygmies who were self-focused upon themselves, not thinking about the lost, not thinking about missions, not thinking about the world, worrying about little things, and then telling the world that they're prosperous because they're God's child. My goodness, you read these guys. Does this sound like Jonah and Peter were successful men? This is about God redeeming us, sending his son. This is why Jonah came, so Jesus could tell that adulterous and generous, that the adulterous generation seek a sign, but no sign will be given to accept the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up against judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented. Oh, they told, they, they, he, he, it was a spoiler. You were supposed to wait to chapter 4. Um, <laughs> they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah is not the point of the story of Jonah. Jonah is not the point of the whole Testament. It is about Jesus. And he is greater, if you read chapter 12 of Matthew, he's greater than David. He's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Jonah. He is great. Because he fulfills everything that the Old Testament pointed to. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment against this, with this generation and condemn it. For she came to the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, there's a wiser man than Solomon here. And it's Jesus. So why is this book so important? Because it's pointing to the resurrection. That the salvation that comes from the Lord did not mean Jonah's own salvation. It did not mean just the Ninevite salvation. Because if you go to the book of Nahum, the Ninevites could care less about Nahum's message. They just blow him right off. It's about Jesus. It's about redemption. It's about his death. It's about his, as it says in the uh, creed, he descended into hell. The Apostles' Creed, excuse me. He descended into hell. Listen, listen to this from the Heidelberg Catechism, which helps me understand what that all means, because that can be kind of a problematic verse that was added. It says here, why does the creed add he descended to hell? To assure me in times of personal crisis and temptation that Christ my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and the terror of the soul, especially on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from the anguish and torment of hell. Jonah was experiencing hell. Jesus experienced hell. 
Who's greater? He experienced hell for himself. Jesus experienced hell for you and for me. That's why this book is here. It's not for you to go home and say, well, the only I got out of that, that's great. God is my encouragement. Yes, I hope so. But the only reason he's encouraged, because of Jesus' death and resurrection. He was suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. That's why the creed is so important. Because it gives us doctrine that not creates pygmies. But gives us the ability to be giants in our faith. Even while we suffer, we can still be giants. So you think you got the understanding of what chapter 2 is about today? That's what it's about. It's about Jesus who died and was buried. And salvation comes from the Lord. And you know what Jesus' name means? Salvation is from the Lord. Oh, wow. How lucky are we? Just amazing that Jesus' name means the same thing. It's a wonderful thing how these guys wrote this book. I hope that's encouraging today. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we, we do thank you that as we come together today, as we worship you, and as we uh, come to understand who we are in this, Lord, we can't help but go to this book and understand who we are before we find out who you are. When we find out who you are and we find out who we are, we find ourselves in a terrible place. And we need someone to run to. We need a savior. The book, the Old Testament, is replete of people who are in need. And in people who are not in need are in serious trouble. The people who find themselves humbled are the people who you desire. You desire a contrite spirit, a humble heart. And Lord, even as we come to you and you bring us to that point, we need to continually have you work in our life because we do get full of ourselves. We do create idols. We create idols of everyone and everything, and it doesn't stop until we die. Yet, Lord, we need a word. We need a hope. We need something outside of ourself or someone outside of ourself that's going to constantly remind us that there is someone who loves us greater than anyone, anybody else on earth whom we say we love now but yet can disappoint us and has disappointed us. And we have been a disappointment to them. You are the one Lord Jesus who lives perfectly, died perfectly, obeyed perfectly, and paid perfectly. That's why this story is so important because it was pointing to us. It was a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. That's why Jesus could go back and say, look at Jonah. It's about me. So, Father, when we get into a discussion about who Jonah is, and people want to go to the whale story, let's give them a whale of a story. Let's give them a big story about who Jesus is. They may not want to hear it, but, Lord, how do we know? We don't know who you are calling. We don't know who you are humbling. We don't know who the elect are. We have no idea, Lord. We are just called to sow those seeds graciously and generously to all so that you are the one who gets the increase. You are the one who makes the seedling grow. You are the one, like in my life and in the lives of the people here, change our lives because of your grace, because of the work of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We thank you. So we don't know who you're preparing, but Lord, we know that you are preparing people, so that gives us encouragement. So Lord, let us sow our seeds of our faith generously today and this week. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Six thirty-four, Fred. Thank you. Sweet hour of prayer.